This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Greetings and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith and I will be your host. This is episode 188 entitled, Does the Book of Hebrews Depict Jesus as God's Wisdom? In this week's episode, we will try to discern whether the opening three verses of the New Testament book of Hebrews depict Jesus in terms of God's personified wisdom. Now, I appreciate those who have interacted with me and with last week's episode, and I wish that people would continue to do so. I'm offering my view here based on the evidence that currently persuades me. And I could admit that it is very possible that I am mistaken. But it won't be the last time that I'm mistaken. I am just simply here to start conversations. And if in the midst of these conversations, an argument is presented to me that is more persuasive than the one that I currently hold, I will gladly change my mind. Truth seekers are always happy to find out that they are wrong because that means that they have discovered something that is more truthfully persuasive. So continue to engage with the episodes and offer your feedback. And if you see the evidence pointing in a different direction, make your case because I want to follow the evidence where it goes most persuasively. Does the author of Hebrews depict Jesus in terms formerly used of God's personified wisdom? What sort of arguments have biblical Unitarians used to suggest that there is no wisdom Christology in the book of Hebrews? And if there is wisdom Christology present, how should it be understood? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at arguments in favor of wisdom Christology in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. So it would be prudent for us to read these three verses in order to get them squarely situated in our minds. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now, it's very clear that in those three verses, there is no mention of the noun wisdom. You can look in Greek, and there is no mention of the Greek noun sophia, which is the Greek word translated as wisdom. However, when you open up the modern commentaries on the book of Hebrews, 
it seems pretty apparent that they see these scholars and commentators references to Jewish wisdom literature and to Jewish speculation of God's personified wisdom. Let me read a few quotes to you. First one is from the Anchor Bible Commentary, and it says, quote, Jewish tradition provided language for making this connection by identifying God's creative speech with his wisdom, which could be portrayed in personified form as the worker who was with God at the time of creation. The exalted Christ bears the traits of God's pre-existent wisdom. That's the Anchor Bible Commentary on the book of Hebrews, page 186. The word biblical commentary says much of the same. It says, The intervening affirmations consist of predications familiar from Jewish wisdom literature, which exalts divine wisdom as the agent of creation, revelation, and reconciliation. That's the word biblical commentary on the book of Hebrews, first volume, page 6. The next commentary is the Hermeneia commentary, and it says, quote, In the affirmation that the son and heir is also the protological agent through whom God created the universe, the influence of wisdom tradition becomes more prominent. That's on page 40. On the next page, in page 41, the commentary says, The second segment of the preface with its four balanced clauses, continues to reflect the influence of the wisdom tradition noted in verse 2. End quote. What about the New Interpreter's Bible Commentary? It says, quote, That God worked through an intermediary in creating is an idea that developed in Jewish theology, the intermediary being called Sophia, wisdom or logos, word. The church appropriated these terms in developing its understanding of the relation of Christ to God. That's the New Interpreter's Bible Commentary on the book of Hebrews, page 23. Let's look at another quote from the New International Commentary on the New Testament. It says, quote, we may trace the language of primitive Christian hymn or confession of faith in which Christ, as the word or wisdom of God, is acknowledged as the Father's agent in the work of creation. This conception of Christ is based, one, on such Old Testament passages as Proverbs 8:22 and following, where divine wisdom is personified and pictured as being the companion and assessor of the Almighty in the beginning when he created heaven and earth. And two, on the very early Christian identification of Christ with divine wisdom incarnate, an identification arising in all probability from the fact that Christ on occasion actually spoke in the role of divine wisdom. End quote. That's the New International Commentary on the New Testament, pages 4 through 5. And the suggestion that these opening 
verses of the book of Hebrews in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, draw upon passages that talk about God's personified wisdom. This is not a new suggestion. Back in the 19th century, in B.F. Westcott's commentary on the book of Hebrews, he was pointing out that Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 quoted a passage about Lady Wisdom. So that was published in 1892 at the end of the 19th century. So it seems clear to me that any serious interpreter would naturally consult a commentary or two or ten when desiring to do critical study on a passage of Scripture. Those that do look at the commentaries would clearly see that the consensus of scholars and commentators on the book of Hebrews are seeing references to wisdom as the personified agent behind these depictions of Jesus in the opening three verses of Hebrews chapter 1. So the question that I have is, why is it that most, and I mean nearly all, of biblical Unitarian teachings on Hebrews chapter 1 do not even mention personified wisdom or wisdom Christology, despite the fact that nearly every Hebrews commentary does mention the fact that there is wisdom Christology presented therein. Well, let's move to our second point today. Point number two is the reasons why biblical Unitarians are unconvinced. I've spoken to some biblical Unitarians as to why they do not see wisdom Christology in the book of Hebrews, despite the fact that most modern commentaries suggest that personified wisdom is in the backdrop of these passages. And I came up with four reasons why biblical Unitarians don't accept this. The first reason is that the word wisdom, or the Greek noun Sophia, does not even appear in the passage. So I can see this as a simplistic argument. It doesn't mention wisdom. So why would wisdom Christology even be present? Well, this is actually a fallacy called the word concept fallacy. The word concept fallacy is saying that the concept must be present if and only if the word is physically present. So these People that would make this argument would say that wisdom Christology would be there if the word wisdom shows up. But that is a fallacious argument because it does not take into account allusions, echoes, or even typology. So although some suggest that because the word wisdom is not present in the first three verses that we should not read Wisdom Christology out of these verses, I don't think that this argument is very persuasive. There are some subtler points in interpretation that I think need to be heeded. The second argument seems to be that there is a lack of familiarity with modern commentaries. And I do think this is actually a big reason why biblical Unitarians typically don't think that there's wisdom Christology in these opening verses. Because if they looked at the commentaries, as I already mentioned, there are 
plenty of quotes and indicators that wisdom is suggested. And something that we need to keep in mind when it comes to interpretation of passages is that the process of interpretation is not done on an island. Interpreters are not these lone ranger mavericks that get to make these interpretations outside of the many voices that have been interpreting scripture for hundreds and hundreds of years. If you are an interpreter of scripture, then you are part of a community of voices. And as you wish that your voice would be listened to, those other voices should also be given heed. Or at least they should be heard for what insights that they might have on the passage that perhaps you have overlooked. That's very possible. Now it's okay to agree with others on what they say about a passage. It's also okay to disagree with a consensus opinion. However, and I'm going to say this as nicely as I can, if you are going to take a position that disagrees with the consensus of biblical scholarship without even interacting with that consensus, then you come across as somebody who just hasn't done your reading, you haven't done your homework, and you might even appear to some as a little bit arrogant. If you want to disagree with the consensus, that's fine. But you need to be able to point out convincingly the faults with the consensus view, and you need to provide persuasive reasons why your reading is actually better than what nearly every other person is saying. But by not interacting with the consensus shows that you probably aren't even aware that it exists. So I think that's one of the reasons why biblical Unitarians have not elected to read Hebrews 1 verses 1 through 3 in light of wisdom Christology because they aren't very familiar with what modern commentaries are saying. The third reason is that many of these interpreters just haven't been introduced to the deuterocanonical books where many of the Jewish wisdom texts reside, namely to books like Wisdom of Solomon and the Book of Sirach. Now these two books, Wisdom of Solomon and Sirach, were included in the Septuagint. They were both in print prior to the writing of the Book of Hebrews. And we have to remember that the Septuagint, the LXX, was the version of the Bible that the author of Hebrews quoted. Remember that the Septuagint also had, in addition to the books of the Hebrew Bible, also these books that are called the Deuterocanonical books. And so it's very likely that the author of Hebrews had these passages in front of him namely from Wisdom of Solomon, which seems to be the largest collection of Jewish personified wisdom text upon which the author of Hebrews was drawing. But if you're not familiar with these deuterocanonical books and you've never read Wisdom of Solomon or Sirach and you've only read the books of the Hebrew Bible, then you're unlikely to recognize the allusions, the echoes, and perhaps even the typological references that are probably being portrayed in the opening three verses. And number four, the fourth reason is that there sometimes seems to be a lack of understanding as to what wisdom Christology actually is. 
So I'm going to use a couple of interesting analogies to make this particular point. If somebody uses terminology from a topic that you aren't familiar with, then you most likely will not understand what they mean. For example, if I start talking about using the force, saying, I am your father, or by saying that Han shot first, or by memeing and saying that I have the high ground. If I start saying all these things, but you are unfamiliar with the Star Wars universe, then you're not going to understand me nor the references that I am presenting. Here's another example. If I start talking about Hulk smash, or the Thanos snap, or the, quote, I can do this all day, or another quote, Mr. Stark, I don't feel so good. If I say all those things and you're not familiar or a fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, then you're not going to understand me. Let me get a little bit more specific. If I begin talking about PogChamp, Forehead, Fivehead, Copium, and Pepe Frog, and you are unfamiliar with Twitch and the modern Twitch chat lingo, then you're not going to understand what I'm saying. My point is that if the author of Hebrews begins with specific allusions and typological references to Jewish passages about God's personified wisdom, and we, being 21st century readers who are naturally distanced from the context and familiarity with that sort of discourse, then we will perhaps fail to pick up on the intended references that the author is making. Now, I want to go out on a limb and say that this is not our fault. It's not our fault that we live nearly 2,000 years from the time and the context and the interpretive milieu that the author of the book of Hebrews possessed. Not only him, but also his original audience. This is not our fault, but we do have to do a little bit of work to become educated so that we can better situate ourselves in the context that the author of Hebrews lived in and the context that he shared with his audience. The opening three verses of Hebrews are written in a way that assumes that the original audience understands what the author is saying. So let's move to our third point, which is the proposed occurrences of wisdom Christology in the first three verses of the book of Hebrews. So I'm going to begin by reading some passages out of the Hebrew Bible and out of the book Wisdom of Solomon that talk about God and how God interacts with his personified wisdom. And then I'm going to read these passages from the opening verses of Hebrews. And I want you to see if it appears that there is a deliberate illusion that is taking place. So starting with our first instance, in Proverbs 3.19, it says that Yahweh, by wisdom, founded the earth, by understanding he established the heavens, Proverbs 3.19. In Psalm 104, verse 24, it says, O Yahweh, how many are your works? 
in wisdom you have made them all. In the wisdom of Solomon chapter 9 verses 1 through 2, it says, O God of my ancestors and Lord of mercy, who made all things by your word and by your wisdom, you formed humankind. So with those references to where God created all things with his wisdom, we can see in Hebrews 1 verse 2, where it says, through whom he, that's God, made the world. And we see that God is making the world through this particular figure that seems to deliberately draw upon these passages to where God made the world through his wisdom. The next reference comes out of Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 26, where it says that wisdom is a reflection of eternal light. This word for reflection comes from a very rare Greek noun, apavgasma. It only appears one time in the Septuagint, and it only appears one time in the New Testament. And the argument that scholars have been making for over 100 years now is that the author of the book of Hebrews is deliberately quoting this passage from Wisdom chapter 7, verse 26. Where? Well, the answer is in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, where it says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. This word for radiance is the same Greek word, apavgasma, that is used in Wisdom chapter 7, and verse 26. It gets translated there as reflection. Wisdom, Lady Wisdom, is a reflection of God's light. And here, Jesus is the reflection or the radiance of God's glory, quoting the very same ultra-rare Greek noun. The next occurrence that we'll look at is in Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 6-7, which talks about Lady Wisdom as a kindly spirit, and because the Spirit of the Lord has filled the world, and that which holds all things together knows what is said. So we have Lady Wisdom here, described as a kindly thing that holds all things together. In chapter 7 of Wisdom of Solomon, verse 24, Wisdom is more mobile than any motion. Because of her pureness, she pervades and holds all things. So we have two references there to Lady Wisdom holding all things. And what do we see in the book of Hebrews? We can see in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that he, Jesus, holds all things by the word of his power. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The last reference is in Wisdom chapter 9, verse 4, which says, To give me the wisdom that sits by your throne. Lady Wisdom is personified as one that is sitting next to God's throne. And then we see in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 3, that he, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so, since wisdom is described as sitting next to God while God is sitting on the throne, now we have Jesus sitting next to God at the right hand while God is sitting on the throne. And as a little footnote, if Jesus is depicted here in terms of God's wisdom, then wisdom Christology naturally would not be limited to the opening verses of Hebrews. It would be observed every single time that the author alludes to Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, which in addition to Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 would be 
chapter 1, verse 13, chapter 8, verse 1, chapter 10, verse 12, and chapter 12, verse 2. So, if you were familiar with these Jewish wisdom literature references to where personified wisdom is the agent of God's creation and the way that God interacts with the world, then these opening verses of Hebrews would sound as if Jesus is being depicted with the very same terminology, sometimes using the very same technical Greek words. But what is the relationship between Jesus and wisdom, if everything that I'm saying here is actually true? In other words, what is the author of Hebrews trying to accomplish by portraying Jesus with terminology formerly used of the wisdom of God? And this will move us to our fourth and final point today. Number four, how does the author of Hebrews understand the relationship between Jesus and wisdom? Short answer, probably the author of Hebrews is depicting Jesus in terms of wisdom typologically, meaning that wisdom is a type of Christ. Now, this is already an interpretive move that Paul, the Apostle Paul, has taught earlier in 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians was written prior to the book of Hebrews. And... If the book of Hebrews was written to Rome, as I've argued and most scholars seem to suggest, then the Roman audience would be a congregation that is already familiar with Paul and Pauline theology, at least to some extent. The argument there is that Paul, in his earlier letters, has depicted Jesus in terms of wisdom with a typological relationship. If the book of Hebrews is written to Rome, which is a congregation that Paul has already written to with the book of Romans, then naturally this congregation would be familiar, at least in some sense, to Paul's theology. And thereby they would pick up on this presumable reflection of Jesus in terms of wisdom with a typological relationship. Now, the author of Hebrews makes many typological arguments. They are all over the place in the book of Hebrews. You could do a case study on what biblical typology is strictly by using the book of Hebrews. Typology can be seen in the discussion of the angels and Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1, with Moses and Jesus in chapter 3, with the Levitical priesthood in Jesus in chapters 4 through 7, between Melchizedek in Jesus in chapters 5 and 7. There's also typology with the earthly tabernacle and the heavenly type in chapter 8. There's typology with the sacrifices and the sacrifice of Jesus' death on the cross in chapters 8 through 10. There's also typology with the holy place made with hands and with the holy place not made with hands, namely heaven, in chapter 9. There's typology between the law of Moses and with Jesus in chapter 10, and there's typology with the earthly Zion and the heavenly Zion in chapter 12. There is typology all over the place. So, 
if we see that the author of Hebrews loves to use typology, if the author of Hebrews is writing to Rome, if Rome is a congregation that has already received a letter from Paul, then this congregation will be familiar with Pauline theology, that same Pauline theology that explicitly says in 1 Corinthians that Jesus is interpreted in light of wisdom as a type. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So if wisdom is understood as a type of Christ, then it makes sense that the two would be understood collectively, at least in certain arguments. And this would, and I think this is a very important takeaway from this episode, this would caution us from reading the reference in chapter 1, verse 2, where God made the world, or God made the ages, through the Son, that is, God made the world through wisdom, it would caution us from taking this reference as a suggestion that the Son consciously pre-existed his birth, because the author of Hebrews is depicting Jesus in terms of wisdom, and the relationship between Jesus and wisdom is typological. So, in conclusion, we have observed that the opening verses of Hebrews depict Jesus, at least in four different instances, with terminology and descriptions formerly used of God's personified wisdom. We also observe that this observation is in alignment with what the majority of modern commentaries on the book of Hebrews are saying. We also observe that it is very likely that the manner in which the author of Hebrews understands the relationship between wisdom and Jesus is typological, where wisdom is understood as a type of Christ. If this is true, this would allow the author to speak of Jesus in the place of wisdom in these instances, in the opening three verses, without indicating that Jesus was consciously present with God when God created the world through an agent. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Please join us next week as we continue to look at the book of Hebrews, specifically at the opening two chapters, to see how Jesus is contrasted from heavenly angels, to see what purpose this distinguishing serves and what it means for the book's own Christology. Please look forward to our next episode. That is episode 189. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider rating us on iTunes, giving us a five-star review, and sharing these episodes because we are trying to promote the sound truths of the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. If you'd like to offer a tip or donation, you may check out the episode's description for a link to PayPal. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. It is hosted by Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks, please take care.